Well, hey everyone, welcome to uh, another week of our It Takes a Village series where we hear from some voices from our church's extended village. Uh, we've said a number of times that we believe uh, around here it takes a village to raise a family. That's why we're a church, to be that extended village for our families. But the question uh, that we've looked at summer after summer is, who is the extended village that helps raise us as a church family? And so every summer we hear from some voices in our extended village, and I'm really excited today in my backyard to host a very good friend of mine from Kelowna, BC, uh, a buddy named Tim Schroeder. So Tim, thanks for being here. Glad to do it, Jeff. Really uh, appreciate the chance to get together. Uh, can you just, uh, for those of us in our community that don't know you, just introduce yourself, uh, give a bit of your background. Yeah, real uh, succinct. Uh, I was born and raised in the church, so uh, I spent my whole life in inside the church. So I've made a lot of specific efforts to get out of the church. It's one of my phrases. <laughs> I, I need to get out. Uh, so I went to secular university instead of in a Christian setting. Uh, I've been a pastor since I was 23 years old. Mm. And so I've got a bit of history there. I've served two churches, one in Edmonton, and now for the last 32 years have been in Kelowna. Uh, I'm married uh, 40 years this year. Wow. I've got uh, two growing kids, two grand cats, and one grand dog. <laughs> so that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> that's you. That's great. Now, uh, a lot of our people may not realize that you and I have uh, kind of traveled paths and uh, developed a pretty good friendship over the years. Uh, give us your version of how we've got to know each other and yeah. some, of the, some of the adventures we've been into. Well, we, we connected, Jeff, out of an interest to be part of relevant churches. And when I use that term relevant, yeah. I mean a church that can't be easily dismissed mm -hmm. by the community or the world. We, we make a difference. And so uh, through a Willow Creek connection, because they were helping churches break out and reach others, we started becoming a little part of a network together. And that's just grown uh, as we tried to do something distinctly Canadian. And so I've been from the West, you've been from the East, and we've been on boards together. We've traveled in Europe uh, talking about best practices. And so together, really, our whole deal for 20 plus years has been, what are the best practices on being churches that the world around us can't easily dismiss? In the last couple of years, you've shifted from the senior pastor role uh, at Trinity Baptist in Kelowna uh, to a teaching pastor role, which I, I know in conversations we've had in the past has kind of focused your passion for preaching and for the Bible. Can you talk about that a little bit too? Yeah, you know what, I, I really believe that that the answer is, you know, there there is just some solid truths, and if we can make them applicable, mm -hmm. if we can help people see that this matters to their lives, mm -hmm. uh, the organization side of the church is important. But I was, I'm really happy to leave that to guys <laughs> like you to to worry about, and I can just sort of focus more on the spiritual teaching side and and the the role that the Bible place in yeah. people's everyday lives. Yeah, and gang, this is the conversation we want to have, but just to set a bit of context to, to what I want to really dig into today with you, Tim, um, you'd mentioned earlier that you and I kind of connected through an affinity for a certain kind of church that was part of what I think a lot of people in Canada would refer to now as the seeker movement. Talk about from your experience, what captivated you to that thinking about church, what grabbed your heart and and uh, drove you to make some changes in your community? Yeah, well, my first exposure to a seeker type of church was just like, it blew my mind. I, I didn't know church could be like that. 
So I had grown up the whole time that church was for a few saints who gathered secluded away from the rest of yeah. the world. And when I first, you know, became exposed to what we've called this, you know, the seeker movement, it, it helped me realize that we were acting very much like the people of Israel were asking, acting in the Old Testament as if, oh, this is our blessing, this is for us. And we were really out of step with God's mission and God's purpose. And so this whole movement helped me realize we exist for God's purpose and his mission, which is to reach those who aren't part of us yet. Right. And it just transformed, it was just like putting on a new pair of glasses and I could see things way different than I'd seen them in the past. Now, in your passion for the Bible, especially as a, as a preacher, that meant some things in how your church behaved and even how you behaved as a, as a communicator of the Bible between you know, addressing only people who've grown up in the church, you know, forever to now trying to reach people who had really no familiarity or acquaintance with the Bible. Talk about that shift and how the, just the communication of the Bible changed. Yeah, I, you know, I did a, a series, did a little exercise when I was working on my, some of my doctoral studies and which I, I, I got criticized because the word around was that I was so desperate to have people come to church that I paid people to come to church. Well, it was actually true, but it was part of my doctorate not to come to church. And so I, I had people, their only, the, the only qualification was that they had no church background whatsoever. Come and evaluate my sermons. Mm. And then I had a group of core church members evaluate my sermons. And I realized that they heard the very same sermon completely through different lenses and different ears going through that exercise. And so it helped me realize that I had to take a slightly different approach and remove some obstacles. We used, we used language that people didn't understand. We made assumptions that weren't true about people. And so it just, again, I, I started off by saying, I have had to make a concerted effort to get out of the church. Well, if I'm gonna communicate to people who are far from God, I need to know people who are far from yeah. God and I need to understand people far from God. So that was the biggest change for me is that I had to consciously try to say, how are they, what, what ears are they gonna hear this message yeah. through? Yeah. And so I can communicate truth to them. And the, the reason I'm talking about this background, those of us <laughs> watching this today may not necessarily care about all that, but here's the, where I'm trying to get. 20 or so years into that movement for you, both personally in your church in Kelowna and across Canada, what, what kind of impacts on the upside and the shadow side do you see in that shift in handling and communicating the Bible on our church and on our culture? Yeah. Well, I, I think the upside is, is obvious. Thousands of people came into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, they were exposed and, and invited in. Yeah. They were exposed and invited in. People who previously would have been excluded. Now they were part of it and and God used that to help, help reach them. Uh, also on the upside, it helped us learn to better communicate mm -hmm. our faith in ways that weren't weird and strange. On the downside, we became so concerned about offending anybody with the gospel that I'm not sure we always made the distinction between it being okay if they were offended by the truth mm -hmm. instead of just being offended by our weird methods. And so I think we, we weren't always as straightforward and honest with what the Bible was teaching uh, under this fear, this sort of this ultimate fear. The worst thing we could do would be to offend someone who didn't know God. Well, maybe they needed to be offended sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of the downside and I'm not sure we, 
historically dealt as well with some of those issues as we should have. There also seemed to be a shift, I know, in, in our experience between sort of starting with what the scriptures teach uh, versus starting with where people are at. That was one of the relevant kind of shifts uh, back in the day. And to use terminology that we'd be familiar with, um, you know, really the, the birth of a lot more topical teaching came, came in. And I think with, with the increase on topical teaching, meaning starting conversations with where people were at and trying to bring the Bible to that. Um, I know you and I talked before about there being a real shift in the degree to which people handle the Bible and are even literate in the Bible because of that. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And your most important point there, Jeff, was the starting point. Because at the end of the day, we are not here to do an Oprah show. We're here to teach the truth of God. And so it's got to be Bible-centered. It, it has to be founded on some, some communication from God yeah. to us. It's just the difference in starting point. If we start with the Bible and say, now we're going to apply it to your real life, or we start with your real life and say, now what does the Bible have to say about that? Uh, but the, the start and the end point is the same. It's got to be truth of Scripture, and it has to be applied and make a difference in the way I live. The other, the other starting point is just how are we going to engage people in that? Yeah. And I think there's been a swing where all we were worried about sometimes is just, I'm going to engage people and we were light on the truth side or some preachers were real heavy on the truth side, but they, you know, it didn't really matter if people were asleep. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so we, we need to do all three. We need to engage people with truth in a way that makes a difference. As a person, I know this to be true of you to your core, as a person who cares very much about the heart of God and what he's revealed through the scriptures, but also cares very much about people outside the church wanting to connect them with a life of faith and with the person of Jesus Christ. What are you learning today about yours or your church's communication or handling of the Bible in order to preserve both of those values, to be faithful to God and to be relevant to ordinary, in a sense, unchurched people? Yeah. You know what, I, I and this shouldn't be a surprise to me, but it still is a little bit of a revelation. People are hungry for the Bible. Mm. You know, one of the things that Reg Bibby says is that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be, Reg Bibby is one of the foremost sociologists of religion yeah. in Canada today. He says we, we shouldn't uh, be too worried that Christianity, church, is going to disappear because he uses a phrase that we would probably want to up one level. He says there are some questions only the gods can answer. <laughs> and people's deepest needs, they don't come to church today to find the latest Hollywood series. They want to hear truth. They want to know, what, what does God have to say about this? They're hungry. And so as long as we can, in a compelling manner, communicate God's truth biblically, uh, people, are, people are more interested than we would have thought. We think we have to somehow make it Bible interesting. No, they're interested in yeah, the Bible. Yeah. Um, now, around here, uh, I know that we've kind of tried to navigate both of those dynamics, faithfulness to the scriptures and relevance to people outside the church. Sometimes in my seat, you'll hear uh, critiques on either side. Yeah. So I'm going to throw the critiques on either side at you and, and just get your reaction as a more experienced biblical communicator than me. On the one hand, I, I'll hear people 
in a desire for us to be more relevant and sensitive to where people, especially people unfamiliar with the Bible are at, who will say, you know, that as a church, we're soft on sin, that we don't teach sin anymore. Talk about that. Yeah, I, I always smile a little bit because what they really mean is that you don't talk about other people's sin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the sin out there someplace. Uh, uh. You know, I, I've never had anybody say, how come you don't preach more about gluttony? Hmm. How come you don't preach more about gossip? You know, that, oh yeah, we want the, the sins that are out there that, you know, don't affect us. They, they don't really want to talk about their sin. And so my, my typical answer to that is I, I, I joke with them a little bit about that. And then I say, you know, why don't we take the approach towards sin that Jesus took? When Jesus got really harsh on sin, it was typically about the sin of the religious leaders. Hmm. And, you know, he was more gracious to those out in the, in the external world. And so uh, I've become really fascinated through my career, if I can use that term, with Jesus as a preacher. Hmm. And you just study the way Jesus communicated and the way he talked about sin and who he talked with sin about and say, if I try to pattern myself after the way Jesus dealt with sin, I'll be on pretty good grounds. And uh, he had a lot of gracious compassion for the people in the world. He had a little less uh, patience with those of us on the inside who were self-righteous. Right, right. Um, flip side being, you know, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, you know, all the religious laws of their day, Jesus tried to kind of boil that down to really two ideas, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So on the flip side, to the relevance of the Bible to, to ordinary people, sometimes we'll hear, you know, I don't know what the big deal about all this is. It's just about love anyways. Yeah. Talk about that side. Yeah, it's not just about love, because Jesus <laughs> always called us to a higher standard mm. and called us to a right walk with a pure and holy Father. And so it, it's never just uh, oh, it's, that love is soft. Love, real love, always has a standard. Love calls you to be better. Love mm. calls you upward. But it also engages you and has your best interest uh, in mind. Jesus is the preacher. I mean, he's just the master preacher. Back to this sin thing, uh, Jeff. Uh, Mark chapter 7, Tim Keller does a wonderful thing with this. He calls it the direction of a stain. And people say, you know, you've got to teach more about sin. I, it, I, I think there's this moralistic, we need to somehow clean up our act, uh, get, get better. And Jesus says, guess what? It all starts in your heart anyways, yeah, and it's what's yeah. in here that comes out. The, the direction of the stain is not outward in, it's inward out. And only the grace of God, the, the love and the forgiveness and the blood of Christ deals with what's on the inside instead of this moralistic approach to sin, right. which is what most people say when they say, why aren't you harder on sin? Right, they're, they're, uh, what I find is that people are actually asking that out of a faith construct that is essentially shame-based sin management. Yeah. And yeah. that's not what Jesus invited people into. He invited no. people into a love-based following of him, where you became something different, transformed by his forgiveness and power. And so it's not just love, but it's also not just wallowing in the wretchedness of your sin. There's something better that Jesus invites us into. Yeah. The, 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 different, the difference is, and because I'm always trying to get into, you know, 
in, into the kitchen type of thing. Yeah. The difference is between some husband that says, I've got a list of seven things that I need to do to have a good marriage versus a husband who says, I'm just going to love my wife with all that I've got. Yeah. Back for, you, you, will, you will far exceed the list of seven if it's motivated by a changed heart and love than you will if you're following some list of things a good husband ought to do. Yeah, by the inside out transformation inside out. of the Absolutely. Heart. And that's the, the, the gospel that we share. Um, I want to switch gears because in addition to this conversation from the perspective of the church and the church's responsibility to build the Bible into people, uh, there also is a personal responsibility. So uh, talk about just in your travels coast to coast in Canada and your experience as a pastor locally in Kelowna, um, what have you noticed about how Canadians, how people these days are approaching the Bible in their faith. People are very eclectic and they, they tend to view the Bible as if uh, they're just going through a buffet table and I like this and I like that instead of trying to take the, the entire counsel of God. And I think one of the responsibilities of us as, as a church and one of the responsibilities as preachers is to help people see the whole story of the Bible instead of just picking and choosing the little pieces that, that we like. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll give an example. We did a, a series, it was one of these purchased stereotype series a, a year or so ago called The Story, which was a, an overview. Right. It's just sort of a, a Bible survey course we did over the course of a year. But what I liked best about it was that it showed some different lenses of looking at the Bible. And one was the upper story, which is just trying to get a picture of what God has always been about from before time right. and what he'll be about after time stops. And get that. The, the lower story is history of him interacting with people in, in real settings. So you've got the upper story, the lower story, and then our story. What might God be up to in, in my life? And so we found that when people started to connect those dots and say, God's got a bigger picture going on than just my little slice that I want to take. Oh, I like this Bible verse and it applies to me here. There's a larger narrative going on and help them see where they fit. And so I think the tendency is for us to be very consumer. We take what we like and our job as teachers and educators in the faith is to help people see the bigger picture and, and fit into what God is, is about. And do you see these days, maybe because of how our churches have shifted, maybe just because of the influence of culture, do you, do you see people appreciating and approaching the Bible with the kind of responsibility that a follower of Jesus ought to? I think by and large, yeah. yeah? Yeah, I, you know what? I, you know, I think we tend to say, "Oh, people don't care about the Bible." I think people care quite a bit okay. uh, uh, about the Bible. Can you care too much? Because I know sometimes I'll interact with people who it seems like they actually worship the Bible more than they yeah. worship the person of Jesus. You know what? I, and I think it is possible if you if you take the Bible just as this strict moral code and like you say they almost idolize the bible instead of understanding that what the bible is is a living communication of a living god yeah. and it's the relationship with god and this is you know teaching you that uh rather than just this dry code uh, the, the bible's not that it, it's a living and active dynamic movement and uh if you can grasp that god is actually communicating to me through his spirit, as I read these words, it's, it's not just those words, it's, it's, it's alive. Yeah, yeah. 
which just as a bit of a time out here, you know, some of us who are watching today uh, are coming from a background with very little biblical familiarity and may even be new to, to Southridge. So in that kind of description, Tim, can you articulate a little bit about, you know, for those of us who are new, why would the Bible be important to my life of faith and, and pursuing Jesus? Yeah, uh, let, let me start on the negative side. One of the biggest criticisms that the Bible will hear today, and, and we hear it from political leaders, we hear it everywhere. Well, you know, it's it's old, it's it's that dated. It's outdated. We're, we're it's outdated, we're living in 2017. And so the biggest criticism they give against the Bible is it's two, three, 4,000 years old. I think one of the biggest credibilities of the Bible is that it's two, three, 4,000 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I do a little bit of outdoors stuff but I don't have a finely tuned sense of direction. I'm, I'm not real good at that. And so if I have a compass that I'm trying to, trying to follow, like what good is a compass that doesn't point north 100% of the time? And so I think one of the greatest values of the Bible is that it hasn't changed. It's consistent. It always gives me the same message and I can so, I don't have to agree with it, I don't have to like it, but I can orient my life around it because it points north 100% of the time and it never changes. Hmm. I think it's one of the greatest things. So, so people new to scripture are saying, well, this old book, yeah, that's part of its value. It doesn't change every time somebody takes a vote. Yeah, and can you, can you comment on, for those of us who are newer to faith, as well as for those of us who've uh, followed Jesus for some time, just the importance of becoming more familiar with the Bible, what we would refer to in, in, internally as biblical literacy. Why does biblical literacy even matter? In the Christian faith, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's ultimate. <laughs> I knew I would ramp you up with that question. <laughs> you were waiting. Uh, years ago, it used to be very common for churches to teach series on false beliefs or on cults or this or that. Well, there is so much out there today. We can't possibly educate anybody on all out around us that is wrong. The greatest ability to live your life is to simply know the truth, know what is right. And now if you know what is right, you will intuitively sense what is wrong. And so if the Bible is one of the primary communications of who God is and what God is like, and we can consistently get to know God through this Bible, we will know what else around us doesn't ring true to what we have learned. And there's no other way to do it. I, I had a guy come in who was with the Commercial Crimes Unit of the RCMP come into our church and talk about counterfeit money. And he says, the best way to recognize counterfeit is to understand and know the real mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And if you know the real thing, something, you might not know why this is counterfeit, but something will not ring true with when you feel it because it's not the same as this. And so the knowing God through the Bible helps you know reality, helps you know what's true and the rest of it, you'll have your and yeah, and your sense God will be designed up. it that way in John one, where it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God." That there is a kind of a synonymous nature between what we have now as the written Word of God and the person of Jesus who came as the living Word of God. And so, for for newer people to faith, I, I hope that you can understand that. A Bible-believing Christian is still there's still a Bible-believing, biblical literacy component that that's important there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, that segues into a, a conversation. I'm curious uh, from your perspective, 
to talk a little bit about biblical interpretation because this three, 4,000 year old uh, document written to other people than us, by other people than us in languages and contexts and literary styles and whatever, I mean, you make a living <laughs> because of the need for interpretation. But, you know, as ordinary garden variety followers of Jesus, you know, we've got to approach the Bible with some degree of interpretation as well. Do you find that there are more and less right ways to read the Bible? More or less. There's, there, there are right and wrong ways okay. to, to read the Bible. <laughs> well, just, yeah. just call it. But, but there are two extremes here. And, and one is for, uh, is for teaching pastors like myself to try to so impress people with our knowledge of Greek and Hebrew and this or that, that the average person is, why do I even bother reading the Bible yeah, myself? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's pointless for me. That's, that's a huge mistake if we do that. On the other side, to assume that, I don't know, just anything matters and anything goes, I just pick this book up and read it. I mean, the Bible is a message from a real God to real people in a real historical context and real times, trying to communicate a real message. If you don't understand the context and you don't understand the people, you're gonna misread the message. And so the Bible does require a little bit of investment to correctly interpret things. I, I mean, otherwise, I mean, there's parts in the Bible, Jeff, we're gonna have people plucking out eyes and cutting off arms and <laughs> kicking people out yeah, and all this yeah. kind of stuff. If you, if you don't say, well, what does it say and what is what did it mean and what does it mean today? It merits that. But I think the beauty of the Bible uh, is that it is so simple that a little child can read and can, can glean something from it. And then some people can study it their whole life long and never exhaust it. Yeah, it's yeah, both. Yeah. And that's the miracle of the scriptures. That, that the Bible is accessible to ordinary people and yet was never intended by God to be read like a newspaper, no. right? It no. takes some, some approach and, and some interpretation. Can you talk about the person who will say, well, I don't bother with interpretation. I just let the word speak for itself. Yeah, well, that's just naive. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I mean, it, it, it really is. You can't, there, there are huge sections of the Bible. If you if you, you're not going to bother with trying to understand it and interpret it, things that, things that Jesus said that just, you know, really? They, they don't make any sense without some interpretation. Yeah. The, the, the other side to that is that person doesn't realize everybody interprets the Bible. Right. If they're just right. going to let the Bible speak, you're reading through it, through your... That's a way of through, interpreting. It's a way of interpreting. Yeah. It's one set of lenses yeah. that, that, you're, that you're coming at. But, man, I mean, there's, you, you can read stuff of what Paul is saying to, to, to young Timothy and the churches. Well, if you don't understand that church and you don't understand who Timothy is, all of a sudden, you know, I'll, I'll have people come up to me on, uh, and they'll say, well, you, there, there, was a, there was a lady who was on your platform who was teaching on your church. And the person coming to me is a lady, but she's wearing gold and she hasn't got her head covered. I said, well, you're just picking and choosing which parts of scripture you want yeah. and, and not understanding what it's teaching. So interpretation really matters because we all bring our bias to it. Exactly. So, you know, final question along these lines that I'm curious just in your own experience and how life works in, in uh, Kelowna. How much diversity of interpretation can your community 
handle. Because once you're interpreting the Bible, then people can draw different, different conclusions based on their interpretation. So on the one hand, I'm feeling like there's got to be some room for a diversity of perspective. But on the other hand, the Bible doesn't always just say everything, right? You know what, and, and that's, this is a great question, uh, a great question. If, if, you take, uh, if you take a whole spectrum, and so on, well, let's take the center. The center would be our absolute essential core beliefs. And there's not many of them, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Uh, the supremacy of God, yeah. that God Trinity is God, Jesus. <laughs> that Jesus is yeah. divine, yeah. salvation by grace. We don't earn it through this yeah. moral code and probably the authority of scriptures in our life. Yeah. You and I agree, if we yeah. agree on those four things, I'll have some flexibility on a lot of yeah. other stuff. Now take the extreme ends of the spectrum. And out on one end, you'll have, you know, extreme liberal, uh, you know, dear God, if there is a God, save our soul, if we have a soul, <laughs> you know, out here. And on the other hand, you've got the snake handlers and the poison drinkers. Well, we're all pretty clear that that's extreme. This is central. Now you've got these gray areas that are close by. Anytime you have sincere, God-fearing Christ-loving, Bible-believing Christians who have difference of opinions in these gray areas, I think we need to make room for that. Mm. And one of my biggest concerns, I, I did a sermon on this in our church not all that long ago, is again, I'm coming back with the proliferation of some folks on the internet who exist, they call themselves defenders of truth, yeah. you know. They lob hand grenades into these areas which really aren't matters of salvation. They're not matters of who God is, but they lob these hand grenades in and they do such damage. They might even be right sometimes, but they destroy people and they destroy belief. And so I think we can recognize the exteriors. We recognize the pillars. Here we just have to be a little more gracious. Yeah, that there's gotta be some room for the grayness, as you said, of differentiation, of interpretation, so long as it's not the absolute core to life with God and salvation and, and things like that. I, 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 want, I want us to kind of absorb that because some people will assume that all of the scripture is black and white. Yeah, and it, and it isn't. It, 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 especially when you get into the obligation of interpretation. It means that there are some things that are difficult to land on one absolute place on. Yeah. And you can see you can see a multiplicity of sides. So that's that's great. And and mature people can accept that others hmm. have different interpretations. I hear that as a word from Tim. That's great. <laughs> uh, Tim, as a coast-to-coast -coast pastor here in Canada, uh, for those of us in the Niagara region, part of Southridge, what is one practical step that you would encourage all of us to take to grow in our biblical literacy? I think one of the keys is for us to learn to accept the responsibility to be self-feeders. Mm. Our role in the church, our role as pastors, is a role as a coach. And a coach is simply to help a person reach their own uh, potential and to be prepared to nourish ourselves and nourish our own souls. Uh, just like we have learned, we have to take care of our own health and wellness and, and everything. There are those out there to help us, but we're responsible. We need, to, we need to have a way and a plan and a commitment. 
to nourish our own souls. And so that's what I would say to anyone uh, in your congregation and my congregation, I'm here to help. I'll try to throw light, I'll try to motivate, I'll try to encourage and inspire, but be a self-feeder. And when you open up that Bible for yourself, God speaks to you through it, uh, there's no greater feeling in the world. Yeah, adopt the Home Depot approach. Of, <laughs> you can do it, and we're here, to, we're here to help. We're here to help. Um, Tim, you've been familiar with our journey, and uh, from a distance at times, you've kind of paid attention to, uh, to our community at Southridge. Uh, if you had one sort of encouragement or challenge or plea, if you just wanted to be in preacher mode for a moment, uh, look into the camera and just uh, give our people and our, our community as a whole an encouragement. Well, I, I want to say to you, uh, I started off by saying Jeff and I wanted to be part of churches that were not easily dismissed by the world around us. That occurs when we actually love people. And what you've done at Southridge and your multi-sites with anchor causes has helped make the church uh, undismissible by the community around you. People will recognize, Jesus said, it's not about good works alone. He says, people will see your good works and that will point them to my Father and glorify your Father. So what you are doing to love people in this district, don't stop, don't let anything deter you. Keep the course. Uh, keep making a difference because if, as people can't dismiss what you're doing, they will not be able to dismiss your God. It was great to hear that you'd be in town uh, around the time of our series and uh, that you were willing to pop by for a little visit and uh, sit down with the camera crew and just share some thoughts. Uh, Tim, I've so appreciated our friendship over the years and uh, not just the example of a church and of a church leader that you've been to me, uh, but just the friend, the mentor, the counsel, uh, and the investment that you've made in me. I know you're friends with Michael as well, uh, the investment that you've made in him and in us as a leadership. You truly are a part of our extended village and we're grateful for, for your investment personally uh, and in our community. So thanks Honored for being here. Honored by the invitation to be part of this, thanks. Yeah, gang, thanks for uh, engaging with us again today. Uh, we'll see you next week as we continue our series uh, called It Takes a Village.